Feel like you've got a lot on your plate, or maybe you've got so much going on it couldn't possibly fit on just one plate. You've got a lot of plates, fully loaded, spinning at full speed. Well, you're not alone, and you've come to the right place. I'm Liz Cerati. Welcome to Seven Plates Spinning, a podcast serving up ideas and inspiration for keeping all those plates in the air. Today, we're talking about cosmetic procedures. We're going to cover the full gamut from medical grade skincare all the way to cosmetic surgical procedures. And I've been wanting to do an episode on this topic because it's something I've been really curious about myself. I'd say about five years ago, I first started hearing friends talk about getting Botox and other procedures that fall into that minimally invasive procedure category. And I like to view myself as someone who falls into the age gracefully camp, but I admit to being curious about the options. And the reality is there are a lot of people opting to have cosmetic procedures in the US and women account for 92% of all cosmetic procedures in the US, according to a 2019 report from the American Society of Plastic Surgeons. So I asked Dr. Nia Banks to join me today. Dr. Banks is a board certified plastic surgeon. She treats patients in Washington, DC and Maryland and is co-owner of the Art of Balance Wellness Spa in Baltimore. So Dr. Banks, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Liz. I uh, just cited that statistic that women account for 92% of all cosmetic procedures conducted in 2019. And that same report indicates that there were 18.1 million total cosmetic procedures in 2019. And that includes 16 million of the minimally invasive procedures. So the majority were things like Botox, chemical peels, fillers, but it says over $16 million were spent on those procedures. So a lot of people are investing a lot of money in cosmetic procedures and specifically a lot of women are doing so. So I want to first address the elephant in the room, so to speak. A lot of people, I'm sure, look at those figures and say, isn't that sad that women are not comfortable in their own in their own skin? But I read in your bio that you say you focus with patients not just on their appearance, but on improving how they feel about themselves. So how would you respond to the naysayers? I like the word you use, investment, because yeah. it is absolutely an investment in yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think that most women, and there's there's certainly a range and different, there's a range of desires, the range of expectations, and there's a range of motivations. But I would say that most women, particularly in my practice, which tends to focus and attract more mature women, Mm -hmm. are pursuing cosmetic procedures to improve their self-esteem, to allow themselves to feel and to look the way they would like to. But most of our patients are professional women. and We can't necessarily change the fact that we are often judged by our appearance. And in fact, I think most women would say that we are the harshest judges of ourselves ourselves. of our appearance. So it's not necessarily that I'm doing it for somebody else. Yeah. It's looking in the mirror every morning. I'm doing it for myself. Right. And when you look in the mirror and you look and you see that the image that looks back at you is not the person that you remember. You may look back at old photos or have memories. You remember someone who had energy and was vibrant and was optimistic and who, you know, was just confident. And that's also part of what we show the world. Mm-hmm. And so if you're not seeing that image look back at you, then very often women are pursuing, pursuing cosmetic procedures. And as you said, the majority are these 
minimally invasive procedures. So small changes. Yeah, and we'll talk through what some of those what some of those options are in a minute. But um, when you just said most of your patients are fall into the mature um, category, and I'm thinking like, oh man, I think I fall into that category. <laughs> in my 40s so like so you're talking about women in their 40s 50s 60s i'm i'm no i'm talking about women who are mature are mature minded right so that's not okay so it's a good thing mature is good right i'm not using it as you know as it's a soft word for older (laughs) i mean mature i mean mature minded most of my patients are mature minded they know who they are Mm-hmm. They know their own value. They know their worth. They're already successful. Know the power that they have, and they also understand that their appearance is part of their power, and they're yes. willing to acknowledge that and hold on to it. And I don't think that we need to allow other people to tell us what our power is. And don't be ashamed mm-hmm. if you recognize that part of your power is your appearance. Yeah, I mean, this is a topic that I feel like there is shame yes. associated with, and if women are going to elect to have some sort of a procedure to look better, to feel better about how they look. Um, they don't want to tell anyone, you know, like I have her girlfriends talk about getting fillers, but it's generally something people don't really talk about, you know? Um, but then there's a lot of topics that have been taboo to talk about that are becoming more accepted to talk about now. I mean, and so I guess in a way, this is something that hasn't fully moved into that space, but probably should. It's, I think it's an evolution. Mm-hmm. Um, And I do think that as we have more female leaders who are willing to allow their femininity to their femininity to show up, that there'll be more talk about that. Yeah, Um, yeah. And there's so much focus on it when women do, right? Like there was so much focus on when Hillary Clinton was running. There was so much focus on what she looked like, and then you know with AOC and the red lipstick, and yeah. But she like embraces it. I remember seeing. I can't remember which publication she did the video with, but she did a video of her morning makeup routine, and I was like, Mm. first I was like, oh, that's kind of weird for this you know powerful woman to do that, and it's like, (laughs) well then, but no, but then that's you know kind of what you're saying is like that's the wrong reaction. The reaction is this is part of who she is. There's no reason she needs to hide that or think that makes her less powerful or less appear less intelligent because she's talking about her makeup. It's part of her power. It's part of her power. Yeah. Okay. So let's dive into a bit of a primer about what the options are because I know I need some educating. So we'll, we'll start at the um, kind of like in the baby pool here with medical grade skincare. Cause that's kind of like starter, right? Absolutely. Okay. So, I- so talk through some of the options with medical grade skincare. What are we talking about here? So we are talking about protection and repair. Protection is something that we should be doing from a very young age. As we probably all know now, our parents may not have known, but we all know now that most of our sun damage is mm-hmm. actually received at a very young age. So yeah. Really oh, I used to young. fry when I was a kid. I look back and I'm like, oh, nobody man. knew any different. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and now we know that it's those very young years where we get the sun damage that shows up in our thirties and forties. Mm-hmm. Um, but also skin that is healthy skin, is skin that is moisturized and our moisture content changes in our skin as we get older. When you have skin that is moist, tissues that are moist, they heal better. They have more ability to protect themselves from the sun. If you have dry skin, there's mm-hmm. less water in the skin has less ability to protect itself from injury. And so when we talk about medical grade, we may be stepping up your creams by adding some hyaluronic acid, which draws a lot of moisture to the skin. It's the same thing that's in Juvederm and Restylane. And those are trade names for Mm -hmm. a filler. 
Um, it draws a lot of water to itself, which makes it a nice plumper for the skin and also for mm-hmm. tissues below the skin. Um, and then we're talking about correction. So if you already have sun damage, then we're talking about trying to correct that sun damage um, or trying to correct some of the aging process, which part of that includes thinning of the dermis, the deep layers of the skin, and a thickening of the epidermis, the outside of the skin, which also makes our skin look more dry. And what does that look like? What are some of the procedures people have for that type of damage? So most commonly um, in the medical grade skincare category, we are talking about retinols. Retinols mm-hmm. are great at correcting damage. It's almost like it's good for everybody after 30. It's a vitamin A-based um, chemical that helps thicken the dermis and thin out the epidermis. It helps narrow pores. Um, it helps with acne breakouts. If you're having adult acne, uh, it versus a lot of the signs of aging, including fine wrinkles and the lack of moisture content. So it's a really great basic addition to your skincare regimen. To get the maximum effect, you might want to have a concentration higher than what you can get over the counter. And that kind of depends on where you are. So if you're starting out, there are lots of great over-the-counter products that you can start with. But if you need to push it a little bit or you need to get some guidance you know, once or twice a year, then it's great to step in and talk to an esthetician or your plastic surgeon. What's the next level? Is like lasers, fillers? Where, where do we go from here? I think next level can be a combination of either lasers or fillers. So okay. um, lasers, they do different things. So lasers are more about um, changing texture, color. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes laser hair removal, but these are all things that are external from the outside in. So we're starting on the surface and we're either trying to get rid of like small telangiectasias or little age spots, brown spots, red spots. Mm-hmm. Um, we're trying to improve the complexion. We're trying to smooth out the skin. So this is that drape that goes over the things that we're putting the Botox and fillers into. Yeah. But that outside drape, if we don't take care of it with the skin texture and color, no matter what we do underneath, we're not going to look great. So very important to take care of your skin. And these are things that, you know, the retinols help with some of the same issues. The medical grade skincare, just your regimen, your basic regimen also helps with a lot of these issues. Hydration is very important with helping and sun protection is important with helping with that outside drape. And then what I'm doing as a plastic surgeon is often what's underneath that skin, but we, yeah. it's very important for us to integrate everything because I could do all the surgery in the world and put all the fillers and Botox in under the skin, but if that skin doesn't look great, we still haven't achieved our desired result. But in general, for skin color that is pale, where you can see a telangiectasia, the IPL is fantastic for that. It's an intense mm-hmm. pulse light laser. It takes care of reds and browns. It's non-discriminate. So any like age spots that are brown, yeah. red spots, little red veins, if they're in the right layer of the skin where the laser can reach it at that depth, it's going to take care of all those things that are not the color of your, your baseline color. Kind of wash out your complexion to smooth it out. Yeah. And so these things, because we have ongoing changes, we're going to have aging continues. We have ongoing exposure to um, free radicals and to sun, they're often used as a maintenance treatment and that you're getting it every three to four months. Yeah, I was going to ask, like, so how long does this last? This is not one and done. It goes on forever. No, I mean, be- it's, <laughs> <laughs> which is great for me, but these, it <laughs> but, really yeah. is a, it's a maintenance. It's, it's maintenance. And so we do want people yeah. to kind of program it into their schedule. Like, this is my self-care right. and this is part of my self-care package. This is what I do for myself every three to four months. And then for darker okay. skin types like myself, I use a chemical peel every three to four months. In fact, I'm doing my chemical peel for myself today. To, but you do it on reason. yourself. 
Okay. Oh, absolutely. It's so easy to do yeah. if you are a doctor, okay. you know what you're doing, you know what you're looking <laughs> for. Please don't job. Right? <laughs> yes, exactly. But it is, I also ascribe to maintenance mm-hmm. every three to four months. I do a chemical peel for the same reasons I would do an IPL for someone who's of a lighter skin type. Same reason, because I need to, to resurface. I need to get rid of the outer layer. I'm taking care of large pores and I want to take care of some, for me, some hyperpigmentation that builds up over time. Now, do, so do people with lighter skin types not do chemical peels or can anyone well, do can. a chemical peel? Anyone can do a chemical peel. Um, anyone can do a chemical peel. The chemical peels, because they are based on the layers of the skin mm-hmm. and removing a certain depth of skin based on the concentration of the chemicals in the peel, you can control it more. Um, the laser is based on the color of what you're trying to attack. Okay. So... Because I'm brown, if I'm trying to attract, a, if I'm trying to deal with something that's a little more brown than me, that's real hard for a laser to do. Right. But I okay. can do that by controlling the depth of my chemical peel. And what does the recovery process look like? Because I had I had a coworker once who came to work, and it was actually a man. It looked like his mm-hmm. face was falling off, and I Absolutely. we didn't know what he had done. No one wanted to ask, but that's suspected a chemical detail. peel, and it was like, oh. <laughs> My God, don't, why it's did you do that deal. to yourself? Well, you have to, be, I do that. And then I, because that's my profession, I just wear a little button that says, I had a chemical peel. So, <laughs> so you said that's a great chemical peel, meaning like if your face is falling peel. off, success. Falling off, it has worked. <laughs> and there are peels oh, that are less aggressive. Okay. And so a lot of what you may decide to do will be based on your, your tolerance for the downtime. Right. Okay. So you tell me kind of what you're trying to address and how much time you have. And then I'll tell you okay, what we can do. All right. So, so how long is it going to take to recover from that chemical peel? It depends. So there's some oh, peels, okay. there's no recovery. Okay. If I make it a, if I make it a very low percent glycolic acid Got it. or okay. a very low percent salicylic acid, mm-hmm. you'll have a very, very light peel, no real recovery time. We could do that on a Friday, by a Saturday evening, you're good to put on makeup. Okay. If I do the peel I'm doing for myself today, which is a combination of phenol, salicylic acid, TCA, I'm going to peel for five days. Wow. I can't wear makeup during that time. I'm going to wear my pin when I get to day three because going to be my face is going to be falling off. Well, we're all wearing gonna... masks right now, so I guess that's a good, you it's know, a so like a great time to do it. It's a fantastic time okay. for peel because it's going to be under your mask. Now, but going going hard yeah. like that though, you're going to see more benefit. Like there's more. Um, exactly. Yeah, you get get yeah, out what you put in. You get out what you put in. So mm-hmm. we just have to plan for that. Yeah. But you know, the reality is that sometimes you, if you just don't have the time, you can't stop the treadmill, which often we can't, then we do small things along the way. Okay. In the long run, you get the same outcome. It just means that you'll need more, you'll need more touch points with me. Like we may be doing something right. once a month as opposed to once every three to four. A little months. bit at a time. Yeah. And what, with the lasers, is it the same thing? Same kind of recovery same time? Thing. Okay. Yeah. It depends on what we're doing. We have fractional non-ablative lasers, which don't really remove layers of skin. No downtime. Then we have ablative lasers, which just like the chemical peel, they remove layers of skin. It's going to be a downtime. Okay. And then process. same thing with the fillers like Botox and other injectables. Is there a... Um, fillers are generally covering? no downtime, except uh-huh. you can have some swelling. So for Botox, you can get some mild swelling. We ask you not to exercise for eight hours after you get um, Botox. Botox is meant to um, stop muscles from moving. Mm-hmm. So when muscles move, they fold the skin on top and that can create wrinkles. So 
the areas that we target most commonly is the forehead and between the eyebrows. We're trying to calm those muscles so we don't get the folded the folds in the forehead or the furring between the eyebrows. It takes a couple of days for Botox to set in. So you've got some lead time in that if you're trying to get ready for a headshot or a talk or an event or an interview, then you need to give yourself at least two days to let that, to let that Botox set in, ideally yeah. a week. For fillers, you can get some swelling. So similarly, you want to give yourself a couple of days so that the swelling can go away before you have to do your headshot, you have an event, you have a meeting. Um, you can get bruising from either because we are putting needles through the skin in order to deliver the product. So anytime you put a needle through the skin, you can get a little red spot or bruise. You need to plan for that as well. But in general, mm-hmm. after we finish those procedures, you can put makeup on within a few hours. Okay. And then the next level up from here is where you get into more of a surgical procedure, right? Like an eye lift or something like that. As a surgeon. <laughs> <laughs> That's your sweet spot. You're I, like I, waiting. Just waiting for you. Take when the training you, reels yeah. off. I'm ready for yeah. the, the big guns. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So when talk about some stuff <laughs> stops working and you come in. Yeah. So what are some of the most common things that women are, um, are doing, coming in asking for? The most common procedures is still liposuction. Mm-hmm. So if we're talking about invasive, not the minimally invasive, liposuction. It used to be breast augmentation, but somewhere, mm-hmm. somewhere five or six years ago, that number flipped yeah. um, where it's more liposuction. That is by far the most common. Breast augmentation may be the second at this point. So that's the most common. When we talk about facelifts and eye lifts, which is kind of where people naturally would go after we talk about lasers, Botox, and fillers. That's probably the next surgical step. Although there's a whole nother, you know, kind of uh, pipeline to surgery that includes liposuction. That actually is the most common. But eye lifts and facelifts are the most common place people end up if they are doing Botox, fillers, and lasers. If they want to kind of push their results a little bit farther. Yeah. What about next? What about next? Oh, necks are very, very popular. Yeah, that's um, my least favorite part of my entire body is my neck. Is that it weird? It just ages. There's nothing you can do about it, right? Yes, your my neck, neck is looks moving all the time. 10 years older than the rest of my body. Than the rest of your face. <laughs> and that's what happens. Like, this does not match the rest of me. No. And some of it is that, you know, it's always moving, right? Your head's on a swivel. Yeah. And so it's, it takes a lot of wear. Um, we also tend to forget to put sunblock on our neck. Yeah. I so do. it gets That's the true. sun exposure and it, mm-hmm. so the skin changes because we haven't moisturized it. We haven't protected it from the sun. So it tends not to match our face. And sometimes our hands too, because we're not putting on moisturizer. Right. We're not protecting our hands from the sun. Sometimes our hands age before our face does as well. So all the just at-home skincare products I might use, like vitamin C or the yes. retinol, it should all go down onto the neck. Don't forget your neck. Yeah. And don't and your hands maybe not the retinol but moisturizer. Don't forget your yeah. hands and don't forget your hands with a sunblock. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't. I feel like the skin on the neck is very sensitive. So I'm always worried. It's to very put sensitive on there, but I guess my face thin. is too. So yeah, it is. The skin on the neck is very thin and it is sensitive. And so there really are a whole line of products that are for the neck. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that where we definitely could start is not forgetting to protect the neck skin with the moisturizer and the sunblock. Okay. And then what are reasonable expectations for results on something like an eye lift or, you know, some of the more common ones? Like, are these things that once you do them once you're, you're done or do you also have to be doing maintenance after be, surgery? can be done. So mm-hmm. what we generally say is that your improvement from 
facial rejuvenation surgery should last you 10 years. It's not going to stop the aging process because gravity and time and changes in skin elasticity will continue. So whatever we correct will continue to age, but you'll still be 10 years ahead of the rest of us. So it's not permanent change. It's a setback and then you go forward again. Most people do it once. Well, how would you advise someone go about evaluating who to work with? What questions do you ask? Are there red flags for you as the patient that you should be, um, you know, saying, I don't think this is the right person for me to perform a procedure? Well, you first want to make sure that you are looking for a board certified plastic surgeon. And you want to be very careful about what the board certification is. So if you, someone says they're a board certified physician who practices cosmetic surgery, that's not the same thing. We have primary care doctors who perform Botox and fillers. And I think that that is very common and that's okay if they've had the right training, but you want to be careful about who, just know who you are seeing. Um, and then I tell patients among plastic surgeons, We have many different skill sets, many different aesthetic eyes. So what I think looks good, it's not necessarily the same thing as someone, it's very personal. Yeah. I think a lot of women uh, do look for female plastic surgeons who are board certified because they want to have a good open dialogue and good communication. And when you go and you feel comfortable, Mm -hmm. feel comfortable that you can ask questions, that you can question when you need to question and that you're being heard. I think that's important too. Okay, well, thank you for all the great information. Anyone who'd like more information about Dr. Banks or the cosmetic procedures we talked about today can visit artofbalancespa.com to learn more. If you enjoyed today's episode, please visit sevenplatespinning.com and subscribe to continue listening. And consider leaving a rating or a review on whatever platform you access the podcast. I so appreciate your support. Thanks for listening.